0: Good morning, everybody. I'm going to be reading today's scriptures. It's going to be Romans 11, verses 25 through 32. Let you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so that they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you they also may know they also may now receive mercy for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all
1: Thank you honey <laughs> uh, Good morning We are finishing up really Romans chapter 11 and I, I say we're finishing it up we're stopping at 32 I'm going to read 33 just because I have to and then um, and then you guys will finish up this week and 34 through I think uh, 36. Um, but chapter 11 is like is, is kind of this like it's the uh, it's the the climax of, of where Paul has been going since chapter one I mean in chapter one he starts this message of, of creating unity between the Jews and the Gentiles and and it's been this swell that he's, he's coming up to this whole thing. And it, and it really ends in 32. Um, and, it, and it's this beautiful, amazing thing. So much so that in 33, like, Paul's just, like, undone. Like, as he's, as he's kind of navigated this thing, it's this incredible beauty of God's sovereignty. And, and that's been the theme that we've been talking about, at least for this last piece of 9 through 11, but, but this whole piece, I want us to get this, because what he's going to do in the 12 is he's going to say, okay, now what? Now what do you do with that? So, so 1 through 11 has been this huge, like, kind of defense, support, this helping us try to grasp who God is and what he did. And then in 12 through 16, he goes, what are you going to do about it? How does that change your life? How does, that, how does that change everything? Um, and so we still have like two months, <laughs> a month and a half or so, 12 through 16, right? So we're still going in this, and I think we're going to go through the end of September. Um, but this is kind of an ending, if you will, but it's also the beginning because this is, this is where we stop. And, and I hope that as we've gone through this, we haven't just turned on the intellectual part of our brains you know what I mean? And now it's like, okay, well, now let's stop with the theology, and now let's get to some practical stuff. That's not the point, okay? That's not the point. That's not that's not how Scripture speaks to us. That's not how God reveals himself to us. It's 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 indicatives into imperatives. I don't know if you've uh, heard this. In fact, uh, I think Doug, I think it was from that. Doug shared a, a Vadi Bakam uh, sermon with the, the youth before they went down to um, Costa Rica which they're coming back tonight, so please pray for safe travels for them coming back. Um, and, and in that, he talks about the differences between indicatives and imperatives in the scripture. And indicatives are, are, are facts. They're, they're truth statements. They're like, this happened and this happened and this happened. The imperatives are, okay, what now? What do you do because of that? How then does that... Does that cause you to go and and live and breathe and think differently in your life? And so that's the transition we're making between 11 and 12, okay? So just I want to set the stage uh, for all of us as we're kind of walking through this. Um, I'm really excited about uh, today because I I think that, that this chapter kind of peels back the last layer of the onion, if you will, where you go, wow, wow, that is really cool. And I got to be honest. Like as I as I I feel like this is this is in in. As I've been preparing these messages, right? It's like you, you peel back like a layer of the onion, and then you you peel back just another layer, and you peel back another layer, and it's just been this. And then it, it's like, you, you, I, I I mean, it's a bad analogy actually, right? Because you don't like stop, or you're gonna lose your onion. But anyway. That, so, ignore that. But you know what I mean. It's, it's this. It's this beautiful thing where you're like, this is this is beautiful. Um, all right. Let me let me start by praying. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us. We thank you that you give us this time to worship you. Because you alone are worthy. You are worthy of our time. You are worthy of our affections. You are worthy of everything, God. And I pray that this morning as we as we study your word, that you would just soften our hearts, open our eyes like we just sang. Help us to know you better. Help us to understand your ways so that we can comprehend just a little bit more of your character. And so worship you even more. God, we love you and we thank you for this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, if I haven't met you, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you, uh, we would love to re- reach out to you and get in contact with you. We've got little gray cards on the side um, up by the chalkboard there to fill them out, throw them in the offering box. on the wall. Um, like we are, we are a. Uh, I'll reach out to you, or one of the other pastors will reach out to you if if you'd like. Um, you know, if you're if you're relatively new here, our communication is pretty much through text um so we send out like a text uh, either once or twice a week depends on if i forget things on the first one <laughs> then i'll send out another one but i try not to spam y'all with uh with a bunch of texts but um i, I would i would love to include you in that there's a phone number at the bottom of that chalkboard if you just text join to that then uh you'll start uh getting getting those texts but all right last week paul gave this beautiful metaphor right of this olive tree and and he established that like God planted this tree. And this tree isn't moving, right? And the, the roots are the are the, the patriarchs and it's growing and, and out of that are these branches that are Israel. And then he stops and he says, But but just because they're natural branches doesn't mean they get to be part of the tree. They're part of the tree because of belief. And so he he explains, and this is what we just went through last week, that, that these branches are cut off, the ones that aren't trusting in God for their righteousness okay that's what we mean when we say we believe in jesus not that he has historically existed pretty much everybody believes that but that we trust in him for our righteousness that that his sacrifice was effective and necessary for our becoming right with god being reconciled with god okay and so those branches that that aren't trusting in god are chopped off and and what god does is he goes and grabs these wild olive shoots that's that's the vast majority of us in this room, Gentiles, right? People that were not part of chosen Israel, that not part of that original tree. And he grabs them and he grafts them on. And he says, there, now you're part of the tree. And, and you're there because of belief. You're there because you trusted in God for righteousness. And so at the end of this thing, you have this beautiful picture of this tree with all these branches supported by the root producing fruit for God. That's the picture. That's the picture that Paul lays out. But, but again, he's not just doing this to create some pretty picture. He's, he's doing this so that we would understand that we are just one branch in this massive tree, this sovereign plan and planting of God. And so he said, he warned us last week, right? Don't be arrogant. Don't forget, you don't support the root. The root supports you. In other words, God's plan included you by his grace and mercy. Not because of who you are. Not because of what you've done, not because of how good you are, not because of your attendance at church or your giving or your serving or anything like that, but because of his grace. But because he chose to uh, shower you in undeserved merit, love. And you trust in God for righteousness. And so that's that's what he does. And so he continues on in this in, in Romans chapter 11, uh, verse 25. The verses will be on the screen. I'd encourage you to grab a Bible, open it up. If you've got it on your phone, I would encourage you to do that. We're going to be kind of, I, I always wrestle with this. Like, I, I know that having the verses on the screen is good. I wasn't planning on saying this, but man, I, I'm, not, I'm not a stickler. I, I like technology. Trust me. I do. But I, I really think that having paper and to write and to, to take notes not 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 that not that my words matter, right? But like that you on your own personal study and you can underline things. Like it's something. It's something different. It's there's more to it. And I, I get it. I'm not saying it's it's not wrong or right. Not it's definitely not that, right? You can highlight in the Bible app, you can share things, and you can have like a community, and you can follow other people sharing things, and it's great. I'm just gonna leave it there. Um, and I know our Bibles stink and they got really small font, so. You know, anyway. We'll buy you a Bible. If you need a Bible, let us know. We'll, we'll get you one. All right, 1125. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. You see, so Paul's continuing on this theme of arrogance. Don't be wise in your own sight, he says. What, what is that, right? That's, that's human understanding. That's us going like, I think I got this. Like, i, I figured this out. He goes, don't be wise in your own sight. Be receptive to God and his revelation through scripture. Be be careful, because otherwise we might go down this path of conclusions that aren't fair. And that's what Paul's been wrestling with since chapter one, right? The Jews were sitting there going, we've got the law, we're better. No, that's not what that means. And then the Gentiles are like, look at them, they rejected the Messiah, we're better. He goes, no, that's not what that means. Don't don't be wise in your own sight. Don't misinterpret God's sovereignty for favoritism. That's important. And, and what we're gonna see this morning, I'm I'm real. I'm saying it again, I'm really excited because because like I feel like as as we go through this, we're gonna see like, oh, that's what God was doing, and it's really cool. So please, like, I'll try to not distract and I'll try to make sure we, we capture this. So he says, don't be wise in your own sight. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. And then look at what he says in the, the second part of verse 25. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. All right, there's three words in this that I want you to underline. Partial, until, and fullness, okay? So the first one, partial. He says, a partial hardening Has come upon Israel. So, what does that mean? There's a portion. It's a chunk. It's a. It's a. There's. There's some piece of Israel that has hardened, which means there's a piece of Israel that is not hardened. We talked about this, didn't we? This was the remnant that we talked about in uh, Romans eleven four. Romans eleven four. But what is God's reply to him? He's talking that the whole where Paul's reflecting back on Elijah. And God says to Elijah, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And he goes on and he's explaining, like, I haven't forsaken Israel. There's a remnant. I've always kept a remnant. There's people that believe in me from Israel and always have and always will. There is a remnant. And God has kept for himself. God isn't on the receiving end of all of us, right? His sovereignty. Like, things are happening here. Because he's ordained. He's keeping the remnant around and that why and we we spent this was a couple weeks ago right we spent time talking about that what does that tell us that tells us that god's faithful tells us that god's not going to turn back on his promises to us he didn't do it to israel um that's that's a substantial piece of our faith right we we all have experiences in our lives where we can go back and go yeah god was faithful here um hopefully hopefully you have those if you, if you can't, if something doesn't come up off of your, the top of your head when I go, where has God been faithful in your life, that might be something you need to spend some time thinking about. Because you should be able to. You should be able to point to these things. And this is one in the, the history of humanity that we can, we can all corporately point to and go, God's, God's been faithful to Israel. And we can go down a whole bunch of historical things and we can go, the fact that Israel is even on the map right now, is pretty remarkable. There's a second word, though. Look at what it says. Um, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until. Until. So this means what? That, that partial hardening is going to stop. Right? It's an until. It, there's a time. Right? So now we're not, we're not on a piece of people. We're saying, like, there's a timeline here. And God started this partial hardening, and this partial hardening is going to end at some point. Okay? And so the question is, is well, what, what is this? Well, he says in the very next one, until what? The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So all those wild olive shoots that God's grabbing and grafting onto the tree, he's going to go out, and he's going to grab the last wild olive shoot someday. you thought about that? There is a day, and it's somewhere in the future. We know it's in the future. It hasn't already happened, Okay. Because people are still believing. People are still coming to Christ, right? We know this to be true. Like, we, we have friends and family, and we, we, we see repentance. We baptize, right? Like, we've, we see faith growing in people, our own kids, and all this stuff, right? And so, so it hasn't happened yet. But there will be a day when God goes to grab one of those wild olive shoots, and it's the last one. That's it. And he's going to graft it into the tree. he's going to say, the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. Everybody, all the Gentiles that would believe will have believed. There will be a day when all the Gentiles, everybody that's non-Jew, right, will, like, and we're not saying all Gentiles are going to believe. That's not what it says, right? The the fullness, all that ought to, or all that will, right, I'm going to throw a bunch of synonyms out here to make sure I don't put myself in a square corner, but, right, like, like, there's this, there's this group that's going to be finally put onto the tree. And when that happens, someday in the future, the partial hardening of Israel will end. That's what we read here, right? Like, if you, if you have a Bible, underline this. That, that, this is God saying, like, this is what I'm doing. This is what's going to happen. This is super clear, right? Right? Something I was going to talk about. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if it's right now. Um, turn over. Turn over to Second Peter three nine. There's there's a time period happening here. Time is going by. And it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord. And so it very clear corollary here, right? He's saying, God's waiting. This until God is waiting and he's patient and he's waiting until the, the, the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. This is how he's executing his will. I don't know what I was going to talk about. I'm going to talk about it now. All right. So, sorry. Um, this patience of God can we just think about this for a second? I, I had a conversation with, with Ava. This was, I don't know, a couple of years ago maybe. And we were talking about God's sovereignty and, and how, like, how he's patient. And he's waiting for us to come. And, and there's going to be a day when there's like, I mean, for, for lack of a better term, where there will be diminishing returns. So much so that there will be no returns. And there will be no more believers. And that's the day when Christ comes back. And Ava was really, um, really saddened by that. And I remember thinking, like, I'm like, was, it was really interesting because I was like, why are you, why are you upset? Like, this is God. He's patient, right? Like, like He doesn't want anybody to perish, right? He's 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 being super. He's forbearing sins. Like, He's waiting for everybody that could possibly enjoy eternity with Him. And her response. Was it's a very small number of people. Let's just put some numbers to it. Let's say let's say God's waiting one more week for the last person. Narrow is the path that leads to righteousness, right? So in that same amount of time, how many people are being lost? You see, she was she was undone because. It was this, recognition that, that in God's waiting for us, all these people have not trusted in him. And maybe this was the callousness of me and my own theology. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't understand your concern, honey. <laughs> we got to appreciate that. That as God's waiting one more week, one more year for that last person, in the midst of that time, the vast majority of people are rebelling against him. Just hold on to that. We'll, we'll come back to that. This is our God's patience. So then he says in verse 26, and in this way, this, this partial hardening that's then gonna end, he says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. When he says all Israel will be saved, we talked about this a little bit, I think either last week or two weeks ago, There's, that's, a, that's a hotly debated topic, and honestly, I've, I've, I've Gone different paths multiple times as I've been studying this, of which, where, where I, what I think he's trying to say here. Um, Most people believe that this is, this is, this is the Israel of God, right? That we read in Romans 9, 8, right? Not all from Israel are Israel, right? That there's believing Israel, that this is how God is going to put all Israel together. This is this is how the tree, right, is going to be finally and fully put together. But if you go back to Romans 11:7, look at what Paul just said. I mean, and we we talked about this. He says, "What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear." Down to this very day. And so, God has done this with Israel, right? He gave them This spirit of stupor, like, they couldn't see. We just sang two songs about opening our eyes, didn't we? God's going to give them a spirit of stupor. He's going to harden them. And so then at the end of this, when the fullness of Gentiles has come in, he's going to release that hardening. He's going to open their eyes. And they're going to believe. They're going to see Christ. They're going to trust in God for their righteousness. And you go, wow, man. I really wish it didn't say that God gave them a spirit of stupor. Because that's really hard. Um, I don't have this. This, this isn't going to be on the screen. But if you, if you want to take a note down, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. There's complexities to this. And I think like our language is insufficient to, to communicate God. You guys with me on that? Every word that I say up here is, is insufficient, like there's not enough, uh, which is why we sing, right, which is why we dwell, which is why the spirit groans inside of us because we just can't, can't communicate it well. But listen to what Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel the glory of Christ who is the image of God so you go did God give them a spirit of stupor or is this Satan that's doing this I don't know yeah and both this this is one of those complexities when you go I, I don't I just I don't know you guys and this is something that we dwell on and we go, Help me to understand, help me to comprehend because we we can't put God, and this goes all the way back to what we talked about in chapter 9, right? We can't put God and say he's unjust because God is just and he's sovereign. And we can't say that he's unloving because he is love. He defines love. And so we have to grasp those characteristics of God that we know and we have to to constrain them inside of this world that is our words and we have to try to figure out what is meant here. And, and honestly, I, I wish I could get to some point of conclusion here on this with you guys and say, oh, this, here's A plus B, like, here, here it is. It's easy. I can't. That's for yourself. But here's what we know, is that what God does with Israel, he did for us. And this, this is incredible. Look at the next verse. As regards the gospel... They are enemies for your sake. This one took me a little bit. I'm like, they're enemies of us? That's not what it says. It says, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. They are enemies of God for us. What God has done with Israel was for you and for me as Gentiles. He's with me on this. Now keep in mind, there's still Israel. There's still the remnant of Israel, right? There's people in Israel that believe in Christ, right? There's Jews that believe in Christ like that. That. So he's, he's jumping back and forth here. So don't Don't take this to be all people within the Jewish community. Don't take this to be all Gentiles. That's not the point. He's he's working in corporate structures here. He's working with groups. And he's saying here that they, the unbelieving, the hardened Jews, are enemies of God for our sake. The large-scale rejection of the Jews is what rescued you and me. You ever thought about this? I had not. But that's what it says. All right? What if the Jews had just believed? Like why didn't Why didn't God just like make it all work? <laughs> like he chose Israel? Why didn't like the Messiah come? And all the Jews just believe in the Messiah. Wouldn't that have been how you and I would have written the story? Like, I'm going to invest in these people. They're going to believe in me. They're going to do all these sacrifices. And then, and, and like, they're going to understand. And then when the Messiah comes, they're going to understand that Jesus is, is the final sacrifice, the, the fullness that they've been waiting for. And, <clears throat> and all, all things would have been great. Why didn't God do it that way? This is what Paul's wrestling with. This is what he's revealing to us. Because it wouldn't create unity and it wouldn't save the most number of people. And I think you're going to see this as we we keep um, diving in here. He goes on, he says, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So he says, yeah, yeah. They're they're enemies of God so that you can be rescued for your sake, for us, for us Gentiles, right? But they're still beloved. They're still God's chosen people, right? They were still used by God, and they will continue to be. After this partial hardening, right, God comes back to them and revisits them, and he pulls this veil off. He opens their eyes so that they would understand and they're going to comprehend that Christ. There's no shortcuts to salvation, right? It's all through Jesus. And so it's just a matter of whether they see him as the Messiah. It's just a matter of whether they are going to understand that their righteousness comes through Christ alone. Whether their sacrifices are pointless. They need the perfect sacrifice. An enduring sacrifice for their sins. Because their sins are eternally rebellious. That's the point. And so what he's saying here is that this is going to come to a final end. And so they have been used by God, clearly, to bring the Messiah. They've been used by God, even in their rebellion, to bring the gospel to us. They are beloved. Okay, 30 and 31. You go. You guys ready? Here's how Paul's like getting to this very end of this thing. Verse 30 he says, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God. I'm just gonna park there for a second. Okay. At one time you, the you in here is Gentiles, right? He's talking like non-Jews. He says, just at one time you were disobedient to God. When is this? This is when God chose Israel, Abraham, right? He chose him, he didn't choose the other people. Right? He rescues them from Egypt. He doesn't choose the Egyptians. Right? He, he chooses Israel. And the nations around Israel are what? They're rebellious. God's revealed himself to Israel. right? And you, you read through this in the Old Testament. right? Like, like they're set apart for God's purposes. They have this relationship with the creator that the rest of the world doesn't get. The rest of the world doesn't get God revealing himself to them. You with me, right? We talked about this early on, right? Like, like God makes sovereign choices. And he made a choice to choose these people. Not because of who they were or anything like that. He just chooses them. And so in his choice, right, he has revealed himself. And when that's happened, they are now set apart. They are God's chosen people. And the rest of the world is what? Disobedient and rebellious to God. And God goes, it's okay. It's part of my plan. He doesn't reveal himself to everybody at once. So he, he starts off there, just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but you now have received mercy. Have we received mercy? What does it say next? Because of their disobedience. So he, he ties back to this. Their disobedience, Israel's rejection of the Messiah, led us to receive mercy. Hold on to that. We're going we're to get back to that, Okay. Verse 31, so they too have now been disobedient. In order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So so here's, God reveals himself to the Jews, okay? I know it sounds like a tongue twister a little bit, but let me... God reveals himself to the Jews. The rest of the world is rebellious. The Jews then, and and the rest of the world looks at the Jews and goes, kind of that's not fair. Why is God revealing himself to the Jews and not to us? Well, and then what happens? The Jews reject God. So God goes to the Gentiles. And the Jews go, that's not fair. And then they're rebellious. Right? Look at look at what it says in. Oh, I thought I. Yeah, anyway. All right. I don't know. I thought I had another verse there. Um, so so he goes back and forth. Why? He so he's talking about disobedience and mercy here. If the Jews had just believed in the Messiah, what would have been their reason for believing in God? Well, God revealed himself to them. They're Israel. Ethnicity. That would have been the conclusion. We would all be sitting here going, man, Israel just got a break in life. God just chose Israel, and he saved Israel. They didn't need God's mercy. They didn't need God's grace. God just chose them. you see the problem? How is God going to unite all of humanity into this one tree if they don't all get there the same way. You see? And so what God's doing is he's taking, he's taking Israel and he goes, we're going to bring the gospel, we're going to bring the Messiah through Israel. And the rest of the world is going to be disobedient, and then I'm going to just lavish my grace on them. And I'm going I'm to reveal the gospel to them, and they're going to believe. And the Jews are going to watch that happen. And the Jews are going to then rebel. And then what God's going to do is at the end of the time, right, he's going to go back and he's going to end this partial hardening, and then the Jews are going to believe. Why? Based on God's grace, based on his mercy. And so it's this beautiful picture, and look at what he says in verse 32. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. We're all disobedient. Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter, right? You're in the tree because you're there by faith. You're in the tree because you know that you don't have any form of obedience that is going to give you the righteousness that's required to be reconciled to God. You don't. There's nothing you can do. You're only there based on faith. You're only there based on God's gracious mercy. That's what he's doing. So he's he's going back and forth between Israel Israel. And the Gentiles, so that they would see this, so that they would understand, it's God that does this. This is, this is like all of humanity wrapped up in like four verses. You guys, are you guys with me here? Like this is, I was like just in awe of this because I don't know that I ever fully comprehended what God was doing with this. And I was like, yeah, it kind of just seems like a little bit of favoritism here and there. I don't know. I guess he just kind of picks Israel and I don't know. They just got a good, they just drew the, drew the long stick and everything's good for them and not for us. Oh, it's not it at all. It, he consigned all to disobedience so that he could have mercy on everybody, so that nobody can be a part of the tree. Nobody can say, I'm going to heaven. Nobody can say, I've been reconciled to God by any means other than God's mercy and the saving grace of his son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? And this is God's plan all along. It's absolutely incredible. So why does he do this? Okay, ready? I already read this verse. This is the verse I was looking for earlier. 11.11. <laughs> 11. Go back. We read this. So I ask, did they stumble, the Jews, in order that they might fall? Like, in other words, like, did they stumble? Did they trip? That, like, they'll never be able to get back up again. Like, they've fallen away. Paul says, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Jealousy. That's an emotion that we have, right? That we would honestly probably go, it's not a good emotion. Right? And I I, I think I, I I think I spoke on this a, a, a month or so ago, and honestly, I need to go back and listen to it because I, I don't know if I spoke on it correctly. Because God isn't creating sin in Israel. I don't think jealousy is a bad thing. It's not envy. And I'm not going to be able to break all that down here. And I just, I don't know. just, Just ride with me on this one for a second, okay? When God selected the Jews, you think the rest of the world was jealous of them? Being led by smoke and fire Right like God does these amazing things, they've got God on their side they they cross these they they cross rivers right like like, don't you think like if you were there, you'd be like, I want what they have, I want that God right even even if it's for bad reasons, right? there probably was a bit of jealousy going like I pray to like a statue but they seem to have something that actually a god that actually exists i want to know him well sorry god didn't reveal himself to you and you go uh and don't get me wrong there were plenty of people foreigners that came proselytites that came into the jewish community Okay, so there were plenty of people that became Jewish, right, that were like, I want your God, I want to know your God, and God, there was a path for that, okay, so just so we're clear, this isn't exactly alls and nevers, okay, so there's people that still came in, they're God-fearers, they're like, this Yahweh, I'm not a Jew, but but I I want to worship your God, because your God seems real, and because there's this jealousy, now, sometimes jealousy ends up flushing out in our lives as like hatred, right? That's not what God's trying to create here. He's trying to create jealousy, healthy jealousy. Like, I want what I'm supposed to have. I'm jealous for my wife, right? If my wife is with somebody else, I go, I, I, no, like, we're one flesh. She, she's mine. I'm hers, right? That's okay. I should be. Not in a, not in a, not in a bad way. <laughs> I challenged them. <laughs> nice work. Um, um so so like like you guys with me on this like god says he's a jealous god why because he deserves our affections he deserves our faithfulness not not binge watching something right he deserves that time he deserves our attention in the mornings Not the news, not not anything else, right? He deserves those things, and so it says that God's a jealous God. He wants our attention, and that's the right place for our attention to be, and we would all agree with that. And so jealousy isn't a bad thing. And so what God says here is he did this. He went to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Sorry, I was on the other one. He went to the Jews, and that made the world jealous. And then he what does he do? He goes to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. There's this desire. God's going, do you want to know me? Do you want me to be your God? Do you want my mercy? And the right answer is, yeah. And so he's consigned us all to disobedience so that we would all want and need God's mercy. That's it. That's it. That's what God has done. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to how we are described. And this is, this is all believers, okay? So Peter's not concerned with the Jew and Gentile thing right now, right? He's, this is just all believers. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You with me here? He's, he's not talking about the Jewish nation. He's saying all of us as believers, those who have trusted in God, he says, you are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, Into his marvelous light. Good song pick this morning. Right? He called your name. Right? He called you out of darkness. He called every single person that trusts in Christ. He called them out of darkness. With me? Nobody did it on their own. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Everybody. All of us. And so the question then, we're going to take this from the, this macro level, right? God's sovereignty, his movement of, from Israel and the Gentiles. And God goes, it's good. I, I'm doing this so that these other groups would become jealous and so that they would desire me. And so my, my question, and this was super convicting to me this morning, do our lives... Hold with me here for a second. Do our lives cause those who don't know Christ to be jealous over our relationship with God? I want what he has. I, I want to know God like that. Is that a healthy jealousy? I think it is. I think it is. I think think that's the point of the church. The the love that we share, the fellowship that we share, the unity that we share in Christ causes the world that's divisive and hateful, right, and all of those things, right, to go, man, what's different? I want that. And we go, it's Christ. It's Christ. It's not us. Clearly, it's not us, right? We are just as jacked up as anybody else. It's Christ. It's Jesus. That's what unites us. And so the world should be jealous of us corporately as the church. They should be jealous of the relationship that you have with God. They should be jealous of the joy and peace and contentment that you have independent of the circumstances that you're going through. It should cause conversations where the world goes, I don't understand how you're responding this way. I don't understand how you still have faith, how you still trust in God when all of these circumstances have gone through your life. And you go, but it's because I know Christ. It's because I know that that God is with me. I know that he's sovereign. I know that he's caring for me. Like this isn't just random acts. Like this this isn't chaos. You see, I don't don't think jealousy is a bad thing. I think we ought to live lives just like the Jews lived lives that hopefully caused the Gentiles to feel a sense of jealousy and then the Gentiles, right, caused the Jews to feel jealousy. It seems as though this is how God works, that he reconciles himself to you and me and he has this intimate relationship where, where we hear his words, where we where we, we, we pour over scripture and we're just like encouraged and we go out and we live a life and and... Train wrecks everywhere, right? And chaos all around us. And we go, yeah, but God's sovereign. And we go, you know what? What, what? what matters? Does it matter that I'm unemployed, or does it matter that I just saw somebody be saved? Does it matter that I'm going through these horrible relational problems, or whatever? Or does it matter that 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 I've watched somebody understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and put their trust in Him? What matters? think jealousy is actually something that God, and this, and, I'm just going to leave that there, Um, verse 33, this is how Paul ends this, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways is the God that we worship. <laughs> what a beautiful God. He's not picking and choosing. He wants to have mercy on everybody. He wants us to trust him. And he wants us to be reconciled to him in a way that creates jealousy amongst those who don't know him. And it causes them to go, I want to know your God. I gotta say, I wish I had heard. I've heard somebody say that to me. I want to know your God. Nobody's ever said that to me. <laughs> that should probably tell me something.